Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, Lord, for how it rings true uh, with our reality, uh, rings true in our hearts and our experience. Father God, I want to thank you that it is a light uh, as we live, that you uh, direct our paths, that you use it to convict us of sin, you use it to encourage us. Father God, this morning as we look into your word, I pray that uh, you would speak through your servant. Uh, By your spirit, Lord, would you uh, cause these words to fall on open hearts and lives receptive and ready to put into practice with your help and for your glory uh, these things that we look at today. So be with us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're losing our luggage and finding our freedom. And if you're new, uh, we're almost done this series. So I'm going to try to recap what's been happening. We've been looking at Romans 8. And as one of my professors said, this would be the climax or the hub of scripture if you were going to pick one. This is kind of where everything comes together in God's grand story. It's not the end, it's the climax. And losing our luggage is talking about um, the sin in our lives. That sinful nature, that, that, that part of us that, that rebels against God and does wrong things and thinks wrong things, says wrong things. Now, maybe you've, this is the first time you've ever looked at Romans 8. The first time that you started to uh, lose your luggage and hand it over to God. Maybe you've been doing this for years. But either way, we've probably, at this point in the series, come to the realization or the feeling that we aren't losing our luggage maybe as fast as we would like. Maybe we're still hauling around lust or anger, and we are getting tired. Maybe you're hauling around greed or gossip or unforgiveness or bitterness, and you're just exhausted. And like the cat came back the very next day, we thought it was a goner, that luggage is still here. If you're feeling like that, if that's your experience, you are not alone. Today we're going to look at a passage in Romans 8, Romans 8, 18 to 27, and we're going to find some hope and hopefully some help to deal with this whole thing, this frustration that we have inside of why am I not losing this luggage fast enough or as as quick as I would like? What's the deal? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 8. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the pews in front of you, and I think it's page 800, 801. It's a large uh, portion of scripture, at least compared to what we've been doing with little verses, but it all fits together 
And uh, I'm going to save us a little bit of time. We're going to work through it verse by verse rather than reading the whole thing, okay? And we're going to kind of just travel through this passage. But my thesis or the undergirding of this whole entire thing would be this. The road to glory involves groaning. The road to glory involves groaning. Now, before we get to the groaning part, because I think we pretty much understand what groaning is, I've been trying to practice all week. <sighs> ah. I, I don't know. You know what I mean by groaning though, right? It's kind of like an un, upset, unsettled dissatisfaction that comes out kind of like a sigh. Uh. The road to glory involves groaning. Now, Rick's come up with this, this whole travel thing, right? And I don't have my luggage here this morning. Well, at least not like real luggage, but I do have luggage, trust me. Ask my wife. No. If we're going to go with the whole travel theme, it's kind of like this. Luggage is the sinful baggage, right? And life is the road or the trip. Now, that being the case, glory is the destination. Glory is the destination. That's where we're headed. That's God's goal. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says that it's God's will for you that you be sanctified. And God is changing us to be more like his son. The goal, when that is done, completely done, we are glorified. Now, don't tell Rick, but we're going to skip a little bit ahead. Okay? What glory? Now, we speak about heaven as being glory, right? We're, we're, we're going to go be with the Lord in glory. And that's true, but it's more personal here. Uh, if... Turn, turn with me and look at um, verse 18 of chapter 8. Paul is writing and he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's more than, than, than we are heading to glory like it's a place, which it is, but it's more than that. Glory is going to happen to us. Now to understand what that glory is, we need to go back to verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now we're going to flip ahead, okay? Don't tell Rick. I don't want to steal his thunder, but if you go down to verse 29, okay? It says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God is moving us, moving us, changing us. The goal is to be glorified. Now, those who start being justified, Romans 29 and 30, will be glorified. It's not like this is a, a I don't know if I'm going to make it kind of thing. It is going to happen. But I think part of when we are talking about losing our luggage is that we, we, we don't get that this is something that we are to be conformed to his likeness. 
2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we with unveiled vases all reflect the glory of God, but we are being transformed into ever increasing glory. It's a process. Theologically, if we were gonna put it in theological terms, it would be like this. And this is where I think the misunderstanding comes with with, um, why we aren't losing our luggage fast enough. I think part of it is just that we think that when we are justified, when we are saved, that we just kind of fast forward to glorified. The camera guy hates me. But the reality is, is that it doesn't happen like that. Yeah, we are justified. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Being justified is being freed from the penalty of sin and freed from the power of sin positionally. And glorification is over there, but what's in the middle is that road. And theologically, we call that sanctification. We are being sanctified. We are being made holy. And in our world of instant, sometimes that doesn't connect. But if we think about it, all good things take time. Guys, getting that girl to say yes to marrying you takes time. At least it should. (laughs) The arrival of a baby takes time. Could you imagine if you decided to have a baby and then (laughs) you had a baby? I think God gives us nine months because we need it. I have a newborn. The road to the Stanley Cup takes time. If you're the Maple Leafs, it takes a lot of time. <laughs> but good things take time. And I think sometimes we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't get that. Second Peter uh, 3, 8 and 9, Peter's talking to these Christians who are suffering and they're being mocked. Where is God? Where is this judgment that's coming? Where, where is this? You could put it in the context of where, where is this perfection? You're supposed to be free from sin. I don't see you free from sin. And he says, hey, hey, get this. A thousand years are like a day and a day is like a thousand years with God. Then he goes on to say, God is not slow as, as we think of slow. He is being patient with you, with us, because he doesn't want anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance. God has his timing. He knows what he's doing. And in this culture of, I want it yesterday, sometimes we apply that to our being changed into the likeness of Christ. And if we think it happens, then frustration comes, doubt sets in. But we're going to look at today that there's hope and there's help in this passage that doubt does not have to set in and that there are things that we can look at and things that we can understand that God is doing in us and around the world as we lose our luggage, as we head to the road to glory. So we've looked at what glory is, and that sounds like a good thing, right? A good trip. But Paul says in verse 18 that it's present sufferings. I consider that our present sufferings 
Well, just like with glory, we got to go back to verse 17 to find out what sufferings are. And it says that we share in his sufferings in order that we share in his glory, his being Christ. Well, there's lots of ways we share in Christ's sufferings. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, uh, verse 20, he said, hey, look, a, a student isn't above his teacher. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, look, anyone who wants to live a godly life is going to be persecuted. So there's suffering that comes from being a follower of Christ. There's suffering that comes from desiring to live a godly life for Christ. Outward suffering. But I would argue here in the context of Romans 8 that, that it's much more than that. It's much more personal than that. If you go back uh, to chapter or to Romans 8, 3 and 4, I think we get a clue about the kind of suffering. And, and track with me here. I'm going to try to link it together. But verse 3 of chapter 8 says, For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. I think the sufferings that are being talked about here, Christ's sufferings, are bearing sin and putting sin to death. And it's because of Christ bearing our sin and putting it to death that Paul goes on later. Well, in verse 4, he talks about we could no longer live according to the sinful nature. And then Rick talked about the last two weeks about how we could put to death the misdeeds of the body. We could start to put to death the sinful nature because of what Christ did. And just like I don't think we fully can comprehend the amount of suffering that was involved in Jesus Christ, stepping off of the throne, coming to earth, facing ridicule, temptation, and then death at the hands of those he came to save, separated from the Father as he took our sins on himself and they were put to death. Just how we don't understand that suffering and how much that cost, I don't think we fully understand the suffering involved when we have to put to death the sin in our lives. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, uh, talks about this. And I'm just going to read a little quote. We are not merely imperfect creatures who must be improved. We are, as Newman said, rebels who must lay down our arms. The first answer then to, why, to the question why our cure should be painful is that to render back the will which we have so long claimed for our own is in itself, wherever and however it is done, a grievous pain. He goes on, to surrender a self-will inflamed and swollen with years of usurpation is a kind of death. Maybe that's why Jesus said in Luke 9, he said, anyone who wants to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
Denying ourselves, denying our sinful nature hurts and it's tough. And denying or, or going to the cross daily and putting to death ourselves to follow Christ hurts <laughs> and it's tough at times. I guess a modern illustration would be uh, chemotherapy. Like cancer, sin is ingrained in us. And those who suffer from cancer willingly go under chemotherapy and it hurts and they suffer. Why? To be freed of that cancer. In a much grander way, we, when we put to death the misdeeds of the body, when we allow God's spirit to lead us to start looking at the sin in our hearts and our lives, and we start to hand those things over, often there is this suffering, there is this pain involved. Now, now don't get me wrong. It's not that we don't want to give those things up. We do, but we're talking about surgery here. And some things are easier to let go of than others, right? Maybe you don't want to forgive someone who really hurts you. Laying that at the cross is hard. But remember, remember, it's not worth comparing, verse 18 says, to the glory that will be revealed in us. Remember, the glory... Not worth comparing doesn't really cut it. The word is axios in the, in the Greek, and I just butchered that. But axis, okay? Balance. What he's really saying is, is look, like if you were going to put these on, on scales, it would be like putting a linebacker on one side of the teeter-totter and a baby on the other. It's not even worth comparing. The glory that will be revealed in us, the perfection and the freedom that we will one day have in Christ, that we do have in Christ, that will be realized in Christ as he moves us and we are glorified. It's not even worth comparing. And just like the, the suffering in, in, in going under the knife or, or taking chemo or the suffering that is involved in, in working towards that championship, it doesn't compare to being cured of cancer or winning the cup. Or in this case, way, way, way more than that. Being completely and utterly free of sin. Sin in our characters, sin in our bodies, completely perfected, completely glorified like Christ. So there's groaning going on, this road to groaning. More specifically, there's groaning in us, but on a much bigger scale, there's groaning going on, on a cosmic scale. Do you see verse 19? It says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. 
Paul's saying here, look, 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 you're not the only ones that are suffering from the effects of sin. All the whole world, all that God has created is suffering from the effects of sin. The one who subjected it is God. Now, how does this help us in, in, in not losing our luggage fast enough? I think a few things. One is, is that God is in control. As we look at the natural disasters and the things that are going on in our world, as the creation groans because it's hurting, sometimes we could think, ah, who's in control? God is in control. Genesis 3, 17 to 19, God says to Adam, after he and Eve sin, he says, look, there's going to be problems between you and the earth, it's going to produce thorns and thistles. And in a much grander scale, when, when the pinnacle of God's creation, mankind, which creation was created for, when it fell, the world fell. And this helps us as, as our luggage isn't going fast enough is that we can recognize that God is in control. C.S. Lewis talks about how God screams to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to a deaf world. If we didn't feel pain, if we didn't see suffering and, and things in this world, I wonder if we would recognize the horrible consequences to our sin. Or if we'd be like those people who don't have the sensory to pain. You know, those people, like, it's, it's, it's a very tragic disease where, where, well, with babies, they'll just keep gnawing on their fingers until they bleed because they can't even feel that it hurts. And in this world, we see suffering because of sin. People to people, people to God, people to this world, and there are famines and natural disasters and everything else. But see, it's not only saying to us, look, look, there's a problem God is in control and we need to trust him. But more specifically, you notice that it says, it's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until now, right up until this present time. It's waiting for us to be liberated. It's waiting for us to be glorified. Because remember, when we fell, creation fell. When we are glorified, when we are restored, creation will be restored. The pain and the suffering isn't in vain. And so as we look at, at, at this luggage that we still have and how hard it is to give it up and everything else, we can say it's not in vain. There's a purpose here. And we can look at the world and say, as the world is going through this, because sometimes when we look at ourselves, it just seems like I'm the only one. Well, no, we can look at the world and the world is not right. But these pains, these sufferings, these things that are happening are not just senseless. They're moving towards something, just like pains in childbirth. This past spring, my wife was in labor for 30 hours. And we went for walks and we didn't sleep. I'm trying to make it sound like it was hard for me. It was really hard for her. She wouldn't let me put a picture up. It's okay. She wouldn't let me put a picture up of her. And... I can only imagine from her screams and everything else that it was painful. That's probably an understatement. 
But when our son came out, there was a purpose to this pain. And he's so beautiful and precious. And like what's happening in the world, we can look at that and it is moving through the pain for purpose to something. And if you want, if it helps, think of it this way. We are going to come out and as happy and as joyful as I am, God is just... So the whole creation groans. And now Paul gets really, really excited here in verse 23. And you can't see it in English, but in the Greek, he says, but twice. He's like, but, but, but. It's like, hey, hey, hey. It's not just creation. Look, look, look. We groan too. And that's our next point. God's children groan as we hope. He says in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We'll stop there for now, but we groan inwardly. It's not even just that we groan because, because it's not happening fast enough. It's more specific than that. We groan, eager, we groan inwardly, eagerly. Why? For our adoption, we who have the first fruits. And I think we groan because, well, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And in one sense, it means that with the Spirit of God inside of us, our sin all of a sudden becomes much more apparent. And he's bringing things to mind. <sighs> but even more than that, we have the first fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And as we start to experience these things in our lives, as God's spirit starts to move these things and we start to, to behave in this way, we have the first fruits. First fruits is, is, is a harvest term. It's like the beginning stuff. And we groan because it's like, we want more. We want more. Less of the hatred and anger and greed and lust and me and more of you, God. More of your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness. And so we groan. More than that, we groan inwardly for our adoption. Now maybe you're thinking, well, wait a second. We would, Rick said that we are already God's children and we're already adopted. Like verse, verse 15 even says that we've received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are God's children. And we have been adopted. What Paul's talking about here is that, that we are waiting for the full effects, the full realization of what it means to be God's child. Because while we've been freed from the penalty of sin, we've been justified. We haven't been completely freed from the presence of sin, glorified. And so we eagerly await our adoption. And it gets even more specific, the redemption of our bodies. Now, why would we want that? Well, maybe you're thinking that if you're a teenager, but if you're a bit older, <laughs> our bodies are dying. And more than that, 
if we really think about it, a lot of the sin in our lives that we get so tangled up in starts with an appeal to our bodies. Something we see or something we hear or something we feel. We don't have time today. Rick's probably going to talk about it next week, but we are going to get new bodies that are imperishable, not susceptible to sin or death or pain. And so we groan. But we groan as we hope. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For hope, who hopes? Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This isn't an abstract hope. Remember, those who are justified will be glorified. But it's a hope in the sense that it hasn't happened yet, Paul says. And so we look forward to this with hope. The word for patience there is not the best word. Because I think in our culture, patience means sitting around, right? Like I'm waiting, I'm next in line. No, 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 no. It's a very, very active word. It would be better translated perseverance. One commentator in the book of Romans um, named Leon Morris uh, equates it like this. He says it's, it's not a passive word. It's an active word, kind of like soldiers who are running into battle and through battle stoutly, courageously, fighting on, moving forward. That's the kind of patience we're supposed to have. So as we groan, it's not a groaning of, oh, when is this going to be over? It's a groaning of, we're involved in this. We are moving forward. We are putting to death the sin in our lives. We are losing our luggage. We are keeping on going. But it's not just us and the world. God is actively and intimately involved. Look at verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness... We do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. God's Spirit groans as he helps. How does he help us? He helps us in our weakness. More specifically, our weakness is that we don't know what to pray for. Now think about this in context of losing our luggage. Living in a fallen body, in a fallen world. God's spirit helps us when we don't know what to pray for. Maybe we look at our lives and we're like, I can't. I don't even know where to start. And I look at this world. I'm, I, what do I pray for? There are so many things that can seem insurmountable, impossible. It's kind of like you're freaking out, something terrible's gone, and you're calling 911, and you're like, ah! And it's like God's spirit takes the phone, and he's like, this is what's going on. It's like he's on the ground. He's in the action. And he's got a direct line, as verse 27 says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit. 
He who searches our hearts is the Father. It's like God is, is looking out and he sees and he hears and he searches our hearts and God's spirit is inside of us and God's spirit is relaying back to the Father. This is what's going on. This is what this person needs. This is what they're trying to articulate as they're crying into their pillow at night, frustrated that they did it again or that they can't seem to let go of this bitterness or this anger. And God's spirit is right there, direct line, interceding for us with groans. And there's a lot of debate about, like, is this speaking in tongues? And, and quickly, I don't think so, because this seems to be something that happens to every believer. And 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30 says that, do all speak in tongues? The answer being, no. This isn't that gift. This is a gift that we all have with the spirit living inside of us. And so we have help from God's spirit. The road to glory involves groaning. The world is groaning. We are groaning. God's spirit is groaning. But again, his timing is perfect. My mom has this, uh, this picture hanging up at her house. And... Uh, it's been trashed pretty bad because she had it at the back door and, and I'm a family um, with four boys. And uh, so it, it got, it fell off a lot when we come in and slam, don't slam the door. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And maybe, maybe can you, you see that? It's this little guy with, with really whacked out hair. And uh, it says, please be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. Now, I think, often when we look at losing our luggage, it looks a lot more like this. It just seems to be like a complete and utter mess. Like there's threads hanging out and, and like the colors don't seem to come together right and you can hardly even make out the lines. But God sees this. And so when the road to glory seems really long, and the groaning seems really strong. Be patient, because God isn't finished with you yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your love, for your patience with us. And Father, we can't begin to understand uh, your whole plan and why things unfold the way they do and, and things take the time that they do. But we know, Lord, that uh, you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And we look forward to that day, Lord, when uh, we will be rid of uh, these uh, bodies that are decaying and dying and, and susceptible to sin, that part of us that, that wants to rebel against you and we will be completely and utterly renewed and restored, glorified. We thank you, Father, that that is a promise and a hope that we can hold on to, a hope that can motivate us to persevere. Please continue to do your work in us for we are yours for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.